0: This program contains grown-up themes and language that the FCC doesn't like. Use your common sense. You're listening to Beautiful Red, a novel by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. Beautiful Red 8. Jack woke on her own sometime near noon the next day. She felt like crap, and was sure she looked like it too. She fired up the coffee machine and dug out a breakfast bar. She stirred her coffee with the bar, trying to get some moisture and extra caffeine into the nutrient-laden brick. She craned her neck and picked up her clothes from where she had dropped them the previous night. She put them on, even though they were clean clothes in the autoclave. She just couldn't be bothered to open up the hatch, and she didn't think she would be leaving the apartment any time soon. She idly ate her breakfast and drank her coffee, thinking about the events of the past couple of days. In the hazy light of midday, she thought she could see similarities between the man in the alley and the representation of Estella Rowan she had encountered in her system. Jack realized that systemic representations were flawed in many ways. She knew it better than most, having written several, But she couldn't help but think that the look on Estella's face when Jack found her in the closet was eerily similar to that of the man in the alley. She called up the video from the alley and zoomed in on his face as he was coming toward her when he left the alley. The lack of expression, the muscles so completely slack, was identical to the way Estella Rowan looked before Jack left the representation. She found it hard to believe that the two events could be unrelated. She fired up her interface and saw that she had a message from Adrian asking her to get in contact. Jack opened up the double-encrypted messenger and, using the same key as the day before, sent a request to Adrian. Shortly, she received a response. Hey, Jay, good news? Switch to 17. 17, okay. Jack broke the connection and established a new one using her 11th key. Adrian soon joined the channel. You get some sleep there? Yeah, finally. I just got up. Good deal. I've got some info for you. Thanks, what's the scoop? I got a perfect match between your sample and the ESA docs. Now that's interesting. I was sort of hoping for and against that. What else can you tell me? The docs in question were reports of experiments done about remote control of cybernetic bioorganisms. Ah, uh, okay. Sounds disturbing. The subjects in the project were bonobo chimpanzees, if that makes you feel better. Not really, but at least the mental image is different. Can you give me some specifics? I guess. I shouldn't, really. These are classified docs. But what the hell. I read the docs, and your matching sample comes from analysis of the brainwaves of the bonobos after the programmed instructions had been sent. Can you be more specific about these programmed instructions? Looks like they were trying to see if you could use your typical wetware-brain-machine interface to make a bioorganism do things, as opposed to just receive data. You know, force our chimp cousins to walk in a circle, not eat the food, whatever. Okay, sort of high-tech specialized brainwashing. Pretty much. The sample you sent me matched the measure of brain patterns when the subjects were being fully controlled by the programming. Yikes. Oh yeah, the experiments were wildly successful. The trouble was that the subjects became entirely dependent on the programs, so there was no going back to a natural state after. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. So, you said you found this pattern in a human, is that right? Yep. I took a copy of it out of a personal system myself. God. This report ended with recommendations to ban the use of this technology on any bioorganism, human or other. I can see why. It was pretty horrible in there. I'm not surprised. The docs were pretty explicit. It seems that the bonobos all tried to fight the program as it was making its way into their consciousnesses. When I was in her system, it was such a mess that it looked like a fight had occurred in there. I couldn't figure out how that would happen, but this makes sense. Yeah, they all fought, and they all lost. And the really horrible part is that it took days. Oh, God. Days of fighting and this slow, inevitable descent into a stupor. They were slavering automatons at the end, Jack. They all had to be killed. Christ. It was one of the worst things I've seen. The docs had video on the whole ordeal. Be thankful I'm not passing that on. God, I am. Thanks for finding it for me, eh? I'm really sorry you had to see it all, though. Me too. I just feel for that woman. And I have to wonder who's doing this. The ESA docs claim they destroyed all copies of the program they used. For fuck's sake, everyone knows you can't destroy code. Someone will have made a backup somewhere. Someone always does. And then it's in the nets, and it's in the world forever. I know. No one ever learns. But that doesn't answer the next question. Which is? What are you going to do now? God, eh? I don't know. Track down whoever's doing this, I guess. She had a job, didn't she? Why not go to the authorities? You're kidding, right? Yeah, I guess. After what you've done, they're more likely to lock you up than look into this. I know. Crap. I never should have pursued this. Hey, you were whining about things being boring. I know. There's an old saying where I'm from. Be careful what you wish for. It might be a goat. Laughter. Thanks for the advice, eh? Hey, better late than never. You flash if you need any more help, okay? Thanks. Be careful. Will do. Later. Later. Jack disconnected and shook her head in shock. She was afraid that Estella had been violated in some way, but was leaning more toward the idea that it was a physical assault, which had led to a mental breakdown of some sort. That there was some way to fix it if she could just find her physical whereabouts. Now she wasn't even sure if it was worth trying to track down her body. This was all getting to be too much. She was just a security officer class 5. She wasn't really equipped for this. She lay down on her bed, still wearing yesterday's clothes, and thought about crying. She wasn't much of a weeper, and the tears didn't come, even though she thought it might make her feel better. Some kind of release of the tension. She thought about sex. One of her usual partners would certainly be available if Jack just went online and asked, but she couldn't bring herself to find someone when she was in the midst of all this horror. She finally just screamed into her pillow, beating it with her fists and tearing at her sheets. She finished beating up her bed after about two or three minutes, and collapsed amongst the rumpled sheets. Without even thinking about it, she fell asleep. When she woke, only a few minutes had passed, but Jack felt more able to cope with the situation. She got up, and sheepishly straightened her bed. She changed into clean clothes and decided to get ready to do something. She still had a day and a half before she had to be back at work, and she was filled with a sense of obligation to solve this problem. She owed it to Adrian, who'd risked serious trouble with several versions of the cops to get the information Jack needed, and she owed it to a Rowan. Jack got down to work. She meticulously picked apart the code left behind by the intruders at Byside, running every single line through the nets, looking for possible authors. She followed the path of the intrusion back to the other end, the originating end, hypothesizing and guessing where there were gaps in the information. She cross-referenced, indexed, filled in the blanks, and made progress. Eventually, she narrowed it down to a shadowy group called, variously, the Red, the Society for Creative Anarchism, and Nowhere Net, depending on the part of the world. They had been blamed for various incidents in many municipalities and corporations, many of which were illegal in some jurisdictions, but there didn't seem to be any coherent understanding of their goals. They were generally not perceived as a significant threat, since most of their actions were harmless to property and people other than themselves. They were really more like pranksters, although a few of their actions had spiraled out of control and caused damage or injury. They were, however, mocked and vilified by the corporate press, since their mandate seemed to be to do whatever fucked up the status quo. They picketed offices, staged performant art installations at upgrade salons, subverted networking with frivolous messages. When they had a message, it was vaguely anti-technology and pro-physicality, but more often than not they seemed to be causing trouble for the sheer bloody-mindedness of it all. Jack had to admit that she couldn't recall having heard of them before. She had never personally encountered one of their so-called actions, and she was not a good consumer of the corporate press. She deleted the Bellis propaganda email unread, and she rarely sought out any of the big corporate boards. She preferred to get her news from real people, whose agendas were obvious and whose pockets were shallow. Since this group tended to converge on the larger firms, their shenanigans didn't make the news outlets Jack frequented. She hit all the big court boards now, though, running searches for all the monikers she'd found for the group. There wasn't a lot to report, and most of it was so full of vitriol and ideology that it left Jack with more sympathy for the perpetrators than the so-called victims. Then she thought of Estella, and the sympathy died in her heart. She turned to the opposite side, the underground cracker boards. She had always participated in these boards, the ones that drew those people who skirted and sometimes bodily crossed the line between legality and illegality. At one time, she was a heavy contributor to the community, and she'd built up enough of a reputation under her first net handle that she was regarded as an insider. She could nose around without arousing too much suspicion. She switched identities and brought up one of the more edgy communities. She made small talk for some time, catching up old acquaintances and getting current with the gossip. She spent almost three quarters of an hour just chatting with the group before dropping hints about the SCA, Nowhere Net, and the red. Mostly, the group found them to be, at best, a humorous diversion and, at worst, a problem for serious crackers in the image department. But after a few hours of conversation, she came away with a real live lead, an address in a nearby city. Jack paged out of the cracker boards and disconnected. A physical address. They might not be the exact people she was looking for, but they would have to do. Jack fired up her system again and booked a ticket out of town. She packed a small bag with essentials, her toothbrush, a fresh pair of underpants, a handful of micro-recorders, and a sonic self-defender she had acquired through another impulse purchase from one of the streeters by her apartment. She left a notice in her apartment systems that if she'd not returned within 24 hours, to notify Adrian and Jill simultaneously, but separately. She left specific messages for each of them. She didn't really think that either of them could help her if she got into real trouble, and she certainly didn't expect them to finish off her mission, as that was what it had now become. She just realized that they were the only ones who had any idea what she was up to and that they might care what happened to her, so they ought to know if something happened. She stepped out of her apartment and stood on the threshold, looking back. It really was a pitiful little room. The window looked over the street into the window of an identical little room in an identical building. The occupant of that room was rarely in, and when she was, she kept the windows darkened. Jack had watched for signs of life for a few weeks before giving up on the woman across the street. Jack had no great love for her apartment, but now as she looked at it, she feared she might not see it again, and the fear almost consumed her. Who was she trying to kid? She was no action hero. Sure, she could break into corporate networks and personal systems, but that was entirely different than going to some other city, sneaking down alleys and darkened doorways to confront some band of rogue-crackers. She was a desk monkey, for God's sake. She squinted when she saw an unshaded light bulb. She essentially lived entirely online. She didn't even know what her best friend looked like, and until this moment she hadn't even thought that this was strange. She wasn't equipped to be fighting weirdos with brainwashing programs. She couldn't possibly succeed. Ah, fuck it, she thought, and turned and walked out of the apartment and headed to the train stop. You've been listening to Beautiful Red by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at d-a-r-u-s-h-a dot slash beautiful red or subscribe for free at podiobooks.com. The theme music is low-level format by Bjorn Fogelberg. Learn more about Bjorn's music at fogelberg.com and you can buy the album Kurushi Porn at magnatune.com. If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on the website, send email to darusha at or call the listener line at 206-339-8577. Thanks for listening.